Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing the films of 2021. 2021 has been an interesting year for movies. The state of the world, theaters not really being back at the capacity they were before, blockbusters being delayed for a year or even two years. It's been a strange time to say the least. HBO Max and Warner Brothers attempting their experiment where all their releases go to streaming and theaters on the same day. It's been an unusual time and I can't really say when things will be back to normal. North American theater going is still at a fraction of what it used to be. Spider-Man No Way Home is about to come out and I'm sure it will be huge, but I think that's probably more of an exception than the rule. I don't think we're really ready to go back to giant blockbuster films again. I really do hope we can get back to normal, not just cinematically, but of course on a grander world scale, you know, I, I want everything to be okay. But I don't see that happening in the immediate future. Fingers crossed, hoping for the best. I know a lot of people aren't ready to go back to theaters yet. With the state of the world the last two years, people have become very accustomed to watching films at home. Even before coronavirus, the movie-going experience was a little lacking with people on their phones, people talking, being rude. Every other time I went to the movies, I was reminded why I hated going to the movies. And I love going to the movies. I love the cinematic experience. To me, nothing will ever, ever replace being in a gigantic dark room in front of a huge screen with an amazing speaker system. You can have a nice setup at home, but movies will never, ever be the same at home. Two quick disclaimers about this episode. We're not doing the usual elimination format. I really just kind of want to talk through the movies that came out this year. I will still end on three final films. And also, at the time of this recording, there are quite a few films I have not yet seen that came out this year. There are some upcoming films like West Side Story, The Matrix 4, The New Spider-Man, and also some of the films that are popping up on top 10 lists like Don't Look Up, Belfast, Nightmare Alley, Come On, Come On, Coda, and The Tragedy of Macbeth. Some of those you might not have even heard of. They're a little smaller, but they are making the rounds on some of these best of lists, and I will get to them eventually, but this is right now early December. So I may be a little behind, but I have seen quite a number of films. First, I want to touch on a couple of recent movies. Ghostbusters Afterlife. It was okay. I think it was a little too heavy on the nostalgia. The third act was too much of a repeat of the original film. And spoiler alert, having the old Ghostbusters just show up at the end, it kind of gave me the same feeling of the end of Mandalorian Season 2, where you spend all this time with these characters and then you give the climax to some legacy character who just shows up out of nowhere, it's not satisfying. There could have been a more natural way to include them. The first 75 minutes were pretty good. It dragged a little for me, but that could have been because a lot of the moments in the film were in the trailer, and the trailer having been out for two years took away any surprise that those moments may have otherwise had. Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. It was okay, but not really. I had a lot of high hopes for it. I am a fan of the Resident Evil series, both the games and the movies, even though the movies up till now really had nothing to do with the games, and they were pretty trashy. <laughs> like, the Resident Evil movies are not good, but they're fun. They're dumb fun. They're like a carnival ride, eating cotton candy and popcorn and junk food, and you may hate yourself after, but it's fun while it's happening, you know? The new movie, I very, very much appreciate that it's actually a movie of the games, finally, after nearly 20 years, but the script is awful. I was actually a little embarrassed in a few spots. Some of the dialogue and delivery is very bad. It's very bad. I don't know if they had the right person behind the camera for it. I definitely had high hopes. I wanted more. I still have that desire for a good Resident Evil movie. 
we didn't get it. I might revisit Welcome to Raccoon City when it comes out on video. But until then, right now, I can't recommend it. The acting and the dialogue is really, really poor. <laughs> a few of the early movies to go straight to HBO Max, as well as theaters, like Godzilla vs. Kong and Mortal Kombat. They're disposable entertainment. I don't love either one. Much like the new Resident Evil, I actually wished for so much more from those. I had so much hope that we could actually get a good Mortal Kombat movie. In that regard, it was a bit of a letdown. Godzilla vs. Kong actually succeeded in giving us big versus moments, unlike other versus films like Batman v Superman, where there's eight minutes of versus in a nearly three-hour movie, or Alien vs. Predator, where there's hardly any Alien vs. Predator. So that is appreciated. Just like the other American Godzilla movies, though, the problem is the human characters. Kind of like Transformers. No one goes to these movies wanting to see the humans. And of course, if it was good, we wouldn't complain, but it's not. They fail every time. The human characters fail in Godzilla, in Godzilla King of the Monsters, in Godzilla vs. Kong. They just can't quite figure out how to make a movie about Godzilla and have humans that we care about. I did like Free Guy. That movie was pretty fun. It's a little dumb, <laughs> but you know what? As far as going to movie theaters this past year, I probably had more fun watching Free Guy than really anything else. There are a lot of smiles to be had watching that movie. It's probably one of Ryan Reynolds' best movies. It's a lot of fun. It really is. It's not the best picture of the year, but it's a whole lot of fun. Wrath of Man with Jason Statham was awesome. I'm not a fan of using a flashback structure to tell a story, but Wrath of Man was really, really good. I don't often like Guy Ritchie films. His movies are either really good or really bad. There's not a lot of middle ground. Uh, the year before, he had The Gentleman, which was fantastic. If you have not seen The Gentleman, I really, really, really recommend that one. And now he has Wrath of Man, so he's on a bit of a streak for me. I recommend both of those, both The Gentleman and Wrath of Man. Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, was terrible. One of the worst movies of the year, as was Home Sweet Home Alone. It's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, man. I never thought I would say this, but Home Alone 6, which is Home Sweet Home Alone, is actually worse than Parts 4 and 5. Part 3 did go to theaters, and it's enjoyable. It's It's okay. Four and five are pretty abysmal, but six is actually worse. Just an awful, awful film. There are certain films where if you can't get past certain elements, like, say, the physics in Fast and Furious, then you'll never be on the movie side. And Home Sweet Home Alone has a very, very significant issue. It makes the burglars sympathetic. The burglars are basically the main characters. They're a family in a situation where they are desperate, and so that's why they're trying to break into the house. And so when you're watching them getting beat to a pulp, you are not laughing. It's not funny watching these people trying to save their home, <laughs> getting beat up by a little kid who the film presents as a thief. That's not funny. Home Sweet Home Alone is a complete failure. Dune was really good. Its scale and special effects were incredible. I do wish that it had more of an ending. I know it's a part one. It wasn't advertised as a part one, but it says it right there at the very beginning of the film, Dune part one. The trouble is, of course, that part two hasn't even been filmed yet. They didn't film them back to back. They filmed the first one and then waited for its release before they put the money into the second one. So it could be years before we see Dune Part 2, if they even make it. I don't know if they are. They say it's been greenlit, but I'll believe it when I see it. As the current film stands, it's good, but it just kind of stops. It just kind of stops. The original 1984 Dune is not that great, borderline bad, <laughs> but I do have a nostalgic love for it. I grew up watching it, and I was very surprised that there are some scenes in the new Dune that are almost identical to the 1984 film. And I imagine that's because they're both in the book. I have not read the book, 
But still, the filmmakers have an awareness of how people feel about the 1984 David Lynch version. And so I'm surprised that they didn't deliberately try to make it different from that version. Why knowingly or otherwise emulate a film that was not a success, if that makes sense? I did like Dune. Um, I would feel a whole lot better about it if part two was already in the can, but it's not. So we'll see if that ever happens. Because as of right now, it's incomplete. It's an incomplete film. Space Jam, A New Legacy was freaking awful. It was terrible. I know I already said that Snake Eyes was one of the worst movies of the year, but Space Jam 2 was worse. It is almost unwatchable, and they don't even go to space. Although, although technically in the first one, they go to the center of the Earth as well, so it's not really a Space Jam either. <laughs> oh, but man, no, no, seriously though, Space Jam 2, it is ridiculously bad. It may be silly to dunk on the movie. See what I did there? And if you're making a sports movie where the climax is a sports event, like, say, a basketball game, shouldn't the scoring system be, I don't know, easy to follow? Because the film presents a scoring system that makes no sense, and so there's no sense of stakes. You don't really see how far somebody is behind or how easily they can or can't catch up if the point system is nonsense. Why would you make a movie about a basketball player in a basketball game where the stakes of the game are to save the world or the universe or whatever. Why would you do that in a way that the audience can't tell how much they are or are not succeeding? You should be able to follow the score. Nobody was pretty good. Bob Odenkirk doing his version of John Wick, kind of like Wrath of Man. If you need an action movie fix, nobody's pretty good. It's not John Wick good, but it's pretty good. The Many Saints of Newark was not good. That was a huge disappointment. I love The Sopranos. I watched the whole show. And watching that film, you kind of wonder what the point is. It doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like the first episode of a TV show. And if you take away that connection to The Sopranos, you have to wonder, what's the point? All the advertisements focused on who made Tony Soprano, but Tony Soprano's role in the film is basically irrelevant. The whole movie feels like setup for something that's not coming. If you take away The Sopranos connection completely, I don't see how anyone would like the film. Without that little tiny bit of connection, there's nothing there. I also saw the Demon Slayer movie. It was pretty good. I have not watched the show. I know it's hugely popular right now. And I saw people in the audience who were clearly having a very excited response to the film. So it connected with fans, at least the fans that were in my audience. For me, not having seen the show, I feel like I caught on pretty quickly. It feels like a gigantic episode. I would say watch it. It's pretty good. Spiral was terrible. That's the new Saw movie. Uh, if I put it in a pool with Snake Eyes and Space Jam 2, I would say Spiral is worse. It's probably the worst movie I've seen in a theater in a long time. It's laughably bad. I did touch on the Saw franchise in another episode. I like the series. I do get excited for the sequels, but the problem is the storyline from part one has been stretched thin across all the sequels. I think that's a huge mistake. At least with Spiral, they were kind of trying something new. But man, it is made so poorly. The casting is bad. The script is bad. The mystery is bad. And obvious. If you don't see the twist coming, then you're not paying attention because it's super obvious. The entirety of that film in every way is a letdown. I'm not going to talk too much about Halloween Kills because we do have a Halloween episode, but I didn't like it. Vacation Friends on Hulu was a whole lot of fun. If you like adult dumb comedies, kind of like Horrible Bosses, Vacation Friends was a lot of fun. I really liked it. John Cena is proving to be a great comedian. I recommend it. I had a lot of fun with Vacation Friends. Conjuring 3 was eh. I liked the first one. Second one was fine. I like James Wan. I like his series. But I have no reason to ever go back to the Conjuring 3. 
In the Heights was also pretty bad. I feel like I'm the only one who didn't like In the Heights. It seemed to get very positive reviews. I know it failed at the box office, but the people who saw it seemed to like it. Critics gave it very high marks, and I just could not get into it. I rewatch Hamilton on Disney Plus pretty regularly, but In the Heights just did not connect with me. Part of my problem with it, and, and this is going to sound so nitpicky, is that it's one of those musicals where you can tell that they're not really singing. You can tell that they're lip syncing. And I know most musicals aren't sung live when they film, but some do a fantastic job of making it look real. When I watch In the Heights, it doesn't feel like that sound is coming out of those actors. And that's a big disconnect for me, and it makes it hard to enjoy. I liked No Time to Die, the newest James Bond movie. It was definitely too long, but man, it was really well made. About 10 minutes into the movie, the thought that popped into my brain was, oh man, this movie looks expensive. And it cost a whole bunch of money, probably like $300 million to make. And when you watch it, you can see that money on screen. It looks expensive. The Daniel Craig James Bond movies had their ups and downs. I do hope to cover that in a later episode. For now, I'll say that Casino Royale was incredible. Skyfall was also incredible. I love both of those movies. Quantum of Solace and Spectre, on the other hand, were hugely disappointing. No Time to Die is definitely an improvement over the last one, and it's good. It's too long. They should have cut at least 20 minutes from it. No James Bond movie needs to be two hours and 40-something minutes. I was very, very surprised by how much I liked Cruella. I went into that expecting to hate it. <laughs> it did not look appealing at all, and I have to admit, kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody, the soundtrack does so much of the heavy lifting. Cruella has a great soundtrack, great style. Cruella DeVille is supposed to be a chain-smoking, murderous psychopath. And they make a huge mistake by trying to make her kind of sympathetic. They should have just made her a psychopath. It's sort of a backhanded compliment to say, though, that I was surprised I didn't hate it. Zack Snyder has two movies on this list, Army of the Dead and Zack Snyder's Justice League. A lot has already been said about Justice League. I will say that I liked the new version a lot. I hated the Joss Whedon cut. It was a very poor film. And it's weird how this version is so similar, and yet the changes in tone and allowing those extra minutes to have scenes breathe changes the film so much. Having the Snyder Cut be presented in 4 by 3 aspect ratio, you know, square, is kind of pretentious. And four hours is very, very long <laughs> for a movie. But it's a fascinating experiment to see side by side the original film and then what he was able to create with the footage he had and another $70 million four years later. I know that a four-hour version of Justice League couldn't really have existed in theaters and maybe he could have cut this four-hour version down to three. And while it's not perfect, I gotta say I really, really liked the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. His Army of the Dead, though, on the other hand, it's immensely watchable, but man... Kind of nonsense. Poor characters, poor storyline. I like the look. I like the style. Dave Bautista does as good of a job as he can. They abandon whole characters at certain points in the movie. In movies of this type, whether aliens or zombies, the ensemble cast is normally picked off one by one. That's normal. But in most movies, the deaths motivate the plot or the characters in some way. In Army of the Dead, it feels like he just got to a certain point and decided to kill off as many people as he could. The deaths didn't feel earned. Or relevant. It was just, oh, the movie's almost over, I guess I better kill everyone. And so a lot of the deaths felt really pointless and stupid and unearned. As I mentioned though, it's a very watchable movie. If you have Netflix and you want to watch a zombie movie, go ahead. It's, it's a watchable film. Dumb, but watchable. Speaking of dumb, 
F9 The Fast Saga. <laughs> I uh, I love the Fast and Furious movies. I'm not ashamed. I really, really, really unabashedly love that series. I'm not necessarily saying the movies are good, but I love them. Five is an exceptional film, and I love Seven. As a feat of production, Seven is amazing. I can watch that movie over and over again just to kind of figure out how they made it, especially around the death of Paul Walker. It really is quite interesting how they were able to pull that movie together after the fact. F9, though, I don't love it. I really wish that they didn't rely on CG, and I know I've brought up CG before, and and part of my issue is necessity versus quality. And one of the things you want in a Fast and Furious movie, though, is that visceral thrill of seeing real cars get smashed. And I know the physics is fake, and I know the situations are fake, but like when you watch part five with the safe getting slammed into cars and cars getting crushed and thrown off the road, those are real cars getting hit by a really heavy object. But there are too many moments in part eight and part nine where the car is clearly CG. And I don't just mean like in part seven where it jumps from one building to another and obviously it's going to be computer animated. I mean simple parts with like a car tumbling. You can tumble a car and have it be real. You don't need to animate a tumbling car. And when the animation isn't good enough to convince me that it's real, then I lose that thrill. And if you're making a car series, then the car that's blowing up or getting smashed up should be a real car. The next two are movies that are currently on Hulu that I highly recommend. One is called Censor. If you're into horror movies at all, I absolutely recommend Censor. It takes place in the 80s in Britain when they were banning horror films as video nasties because they were a danger to society. And one of the censors goes down a rabbit hole of horror movies and starts to have a bit of a psychotic break. If you like slow burn horror, I definitely recommend Censor. The other one is called Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. It's a documentary about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. If you like concert films at all, you should seek it out. It's very, very good. It's probably one of the best movies of the year. The next one is Candyman. Now, I love the first Candyman. So, so good. I love Candyman. I was excited that this new one is a sequel, not a remake. It has returning characters. The only real trouble is that, just like with Get Out and Us, Jordan Peele can never seem to stick the landing. The last 10 minutes of Candyman feels like a whole third act cut down to 10 minutes. There's a character turn that makes no sense. It's wrapped up so quickly. There's a very confusing cameo. (laughs) Up to that point, though, it's so good. Really, up until the last 10 to 15 minutes, Candyman is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's just that ending, man. They just couldn't land it. And with that, we are down to the last three. These are my three favorite movies of 2021 so far. And again, there are quite a few I have not seen yet, but these are the three for now. The first is called Pig with Nicolas Cage. It is probably not the kind of movie you expect from Nicolas Cage. It's a very subtle and subdued performance about a man just trying to find his pig. And that's really it. And it's so good. It's nice to see him playing someone heartbroken and lost instead of these straight-to-video terrible movies he's been doing for years. It's a quiet, small, slow burn. It's an introspective film. I very much recommend Pig. The second film is Shiva Baby. I'm pretty certain that not a lot of people have heard of this. It's a great little bite-sized comedy. It's about 75 minutes long. It's about a woman who attends a Shiva only to find that her sugar daddy and his wife and child are there too. For me, it was one of the funniest movies of the year, but whether or not you find it funny may depend on how you react to stressful situations. 
I think of Shiva Baby as a stressful comedy in that most of the humor comes from the stressful situation that the lead character is in. If you can find humor in the pressures of family and keeping up little white lies in an environment you can't escape, then you might like it. For me, it clicked. I thought it was hilarious, but your mileage might vary. The final film I want to talk about is Malignant, <laughs> which I can't even talk about it without laughing because it is such a gonzo bonkers film. One reviewer said that it is both the best and the worst movie of the year, and I think that that nails it. There's something to be said about when the people making the movie know exactly what it is they're making, and with Malignant, though, it's hard to tell if it's bad on purpose or can't be on purpose or just bad. When you watch it, there's so many moments that both seem completely deliberate and failures of filmmaking. And so those moments blend together and you kind of wonder, is this on purpose? <laughs> and it's really quite fascinating. And I liked it. I liked it a lot so much that I watched it twice on HBO Max and then went to theaters to see it a third time. But you really do need to accept that it's probably, maybe, bad on purpose or silly on purpose. It's hard to tell. And part of that confusion kind of lends to the charm of the film. I loved it. Is it good? I don't know. Can I say it's good? I mean, kind of. <laughs> it's a very confusing film. So you might walk away thinking that it's bad and stupid, or you might laugh and just enjoy the whole thing. And so for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Pig, Shiva Baby, and Malignant. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash valleywestcinemas. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Those reviews help us a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. Thank you for listening.